Hosea 1, verses 1 to 3. When the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, Go and marry a prostitute, so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. This will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshipping other gods. So Hosea married Gomer, the daughter of Diblam. The title of this series is Rewind. It provides us with the opportunity to look again at some familiar, or perhaps in this case, slightly less familiar stories in the Bible. Today we're looking at the book of Hosea, found towards the back of the Old Testament among the minor prophets, just after Daniel. If ever there was a story which should cause us to stop, rethink and rewind the text, then this is it. The Lord spoke to Hosea and said, go and marry a prostitute. A what? Do what? Did God really say that? Go and marry a prostitute? Yes, that's right, a prostitute. Just to give you a bit of background on this, Hosea was alive in the 8th century BC. We don't know very much about his life other than the familiar and slightly unusual story of his marriage. However, we do know what was happening during this period in history. Israel had become a faithless nation, given to worshipping idols and pursuing its own gain. Hosea emerged as a prophet and was given the challenge of ministering in the last decade of Israel's existence between 750 to 722 BC, just before it was defeated and destroyed by the Assyrian army. In effect, Hosea was was signing off at the end of Israel's history as a great nation. I always struggle to sign the end of letters. I don't know whether you do or not, but I'm, I'm mostly too formal. I can make a birthday card to a friend seem like a letter from your bank manager. I have a special gift in the formal. Um, but then occasionally, just to try and be less formal, I'm inappropriately informal. So the endings of letters are a little bit difficult for me. And now we've got texts and emails. I'm just completely lost. If I put a kiss at the end of a text, does that mean I actually want to kiss the person? I hope not. But it's difficult, isn't it? How do we sign off? But there's no such struggle to find an appropriate ending when we think about the life of Hosea. Without doubt, he is a man who could have signed off yours faithfully, Hosea. There's a song written by Casting Crowns which says, I want to sign my name at the end of the day, knowing that my life was true. Let my life song sing to you. Hosea's life song was not an easy one. He was called to do things that few of us could even contemplate in an era of spiritual and moral decline. And yet, he signed his name at the end of his day, faithfully yours, Hosea. Hosea wasn't just called to speak about God's judgment of Israel's unfaithfulness. He was called to demonstrate it through his most intimate relationship. You know, there's such a high level of discontentment in today's society, particularly when it comes to employment and the kind of benefits that certain jobs offer. We've seen strikes over working hours, salary reductions, changes to pension packages, unreasonable demands in job descriptions, etc., etc. But none of us have been required to fulfill the role that Hosea did. I wonder what his job description would have read like. Perhaps it was something like this. Profit required. Duties to include... Speaking to people who are unlikely to listen. 
Loving a wife who is unlikely to love you back. Raising children who are unlikely to be your own. And responding to God in a way that people are unlikely to understand. Not sounding very attractive at the moment, is it? So what qualities are required for a person to fulfill this job description? Well, perhaps they would read something like this. Absolute commitment. Maximum resilience. Ability to cope with disappointment. Total trust in God. And complete obedience. Oh my goodness, it's not getting much better, is it? We've got a really high job spec with duties that are really quite difficult. So there must be some really good benefits to go with this, mustn't there? Well, I think perhaps Hosea's benefits were more like no financial remuneration, no status, no job security, but opportunity to demonstrate God's love to a fallen world and to sign off faithfully yours. See, none of it seems particularly attractive, at least not until you get to the end bit. And I get to that bit, and I don't know about you, but that's where it starts to grab me. The opportunity to sign off faithfully yours. Hosea's life was to be spent demonstrating God's love, not only to his fallen wife, but to a fallen generation. God's plan became Hosea's plan, to see it, as it says in chapter 3, verse 5, to see the people return and devote themselves to the Lord their God, that in the last days they will tremble in awe of the Lord and of his goodness. You know, the book of Hosea has got a reputation for being gloomy, full of judgment, an aspect of God's interaction with us that we would prefer to ignore, particularly when we look at our nation today just a week or two away from rioting, theft and violence. And the truth is, we simultaneously desire judgment and mercy. Quite often, judgment for others and mercy for ourselves. Thomas Jefferson, one of America's founding fathers, once said, Indeed, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just. And I don't know about you, but sometimes we look at our country and and our lives and it makes us tremble. God is just. Threaded through the pages of Hosea is predominantly a message of unbelievable grace, overwhelming compassion, and a God who never gives up on his people, who deserve judgment but receive mercy. Let's return to the story. Chapter 1, verse 2. God speaks to Hosea and says, Go and marry a prostitute and raise her children, who will be born as a result of her liaisons with other men. Verse 3. So Hosea married Goma. I don't know about you, but it feels to me as though there's something missing here. It feels almost as if Hosea just said, Well, okay, God, that's fine, and trotted off to find his wife on the nearest street corner. And I wonder if sometimes we imagine that people who are called to do amazing things for God are gifted with supernatural ability to withstand pain or disappointment. That somehow they're specially equipped in a way which most of us are not. I don't believe that. In fact, the Bible is full of examples of regular people trying their best to serve God who have to struggle and wrestle with God's call on their life before they finally find the strength to surrender. This wasn't Hosea's dream ministry. Who wants to be charged with communicating God's judgment? Neither was it Hosea's dream marriage. 
He knew right from the outset that not only was his wife impure, but that some of the children she would bear during their relationship would not be his. That's not the kind of relationship any of us would long for. But neither is it Gomer's dream. Let's be careful not to get caught up in gender stereotypes here, with Gomer as the fallen woman rescued by a heroic man, as attractive as that might be to some of us. You know, Leon and I went out last week um, shopping, and we went to Merry Hill and we got a coffee. So we went to the Costa Coffee or whatever it was and ordered coffee, and we ordered one Americano and one skinny cinnamon latte. And the woman behind the counter took our money, blah, 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 we're chatting away, and she said, um, so, said to Leon, so would you like milk with your Americano? At which point I said, that, that's mine. Mine's the Americano, the skinny cinnamon latte is his. <laughs> she started laughing, at which point Leon said, is that a girly drink? And she said, yes, actually, it probably is quite a girly drink. But it's an example of how we get lulled so easily, even over a cup coffee, a cup of coffee, into gender stereotypes. This isn't a story about women and men. It's a story about a society where idolatry was normal, and so were the practices that accompanied it. It's unlikely that Goma was a prostitute who had sex with men for money. Commentators believe that she was a promiscuous woman caught up in the spirit of the age where it was common to be involved in sexual acts as part of worshipping the idols or gods of the time. And you know, we can all get caught up with activities that are condoned or acceptable according to the times we live in. And in order for Goma to be promiscuous, there must have been some willing men. This is not a story of a sinful woman but of a sinful generation, a culture with which we can all identify and are all potentially part of. So, Hosea married Goma. It may have been simply an act of obedience, or he might have fallen in love with her, or at least been very fond of her. After all, there must be a reason why he chose her. It wouldn't have been difficult to find a promiscuous partner. It may also have been Goma's intention to lay aside her previous lifestyle and the worship of idols to serve her husband and his God to make a fresh start with an honourable man. The Bible says in verse 3, she became pregnant and gave Hosea a son. She started well and remained faithful to Hosea and gave him a son. We know that she was faithful because if not, how would we be certain that this was Hosea's son? And it got me to wondering how many of us start things well. I've lost count of the number of people who have said to me in recent years, I'm an ideas person, a starter, someone good at generating new things and getting them off the ground. I'm not really into maintenance. Well, that's fine. God gives us different gifts and abilities, but sometimes we assume that we can live in these strengths alone. The reality is that some of the most important and significant aspects of our life require us to maintain, develop and sustain things over a long period of time, particularly when we think about relationships. Starting well is not enough. You have to continue. Maybe at times we're at risk of getting caught up in the spirit of our age, moving on when things get dull, predictable or lacking in stimulation. You know, we're a society that requires high levels of stimulus. We're technology mad and very easily bored. Some of you even now are sitting there wishing this part of the service would end. And that may be because what I'm saying or its delivery is truly boring 
Or could it be because it's not accompanied by advanced graphics, sound effects or pyrotechnics? Some things require commitment, ongoing maintenance and investment, not just at the beginning, but forever. I wonder how much time we put into our most significant relationships with our parents, partners, children, siblings, friends. Or do we get bored and move on looking for our next best friend, parent or child substitute? Goma started really well. But somewhere between the birth of her first child and the conception of her second, she wandered off. Chapter 1 verse 6 says, Soon she became pregnant again and gave birth to a daughter. There's no mention that this was Hosea's daughter. And commentators suggest that in fact this child and the son born afterwards were unlikely to be Hosea's. All the children were provided with rather unfortunate names, which for the sake of time I won't go into today, but you might like to explore in your own study. The second child's name could be translated as not loved. That's not a good name, is it? And the third child was called not my people. What a powerful label to carry with you through life. And what a sense of inevitable disappointment Hosea must have carried. He knew that God was working out a wider purpose in his life, which would speak to the nations. But did that make it any easier to bear at those crucial moments? Perhaps it's my imagination, but I think that knowing God and knowing the eventual outcome helps a little. But it doesn't necessarily alleviate the pain experienced during the wait. Hosea knew that God would show his displeasure and judgment at Israel's unfaithfulness. And he knew this would be mirrored in his relationship with Gomer. But he also knew that his God, unlike the idols of the age, was a living, compassionate God who would find a way to bring him back to redeem his faithless children. Chapter 1 verse 10 says this, Yet the time will come when Israel's people will be like the sands of the seashore, too many to count. Then at the place where they were told, You are not my people, It will be said, you are the children of the living God. In that day, you will call your brothers, Ami, my people. And you will call your sisters, Ruama, the ones I love. See, Hosea knew that God could not bear to disown his people or withhold his love from them permanently. That he was working on a plan for redemption. But that plan wasn't fulfilled yet. And Goma had returned to her former ways. She was once again involved in idolatry. She returned to the sexual practices of the temple. And she exchanged long-term security and acceptance for temporary pleasure and the practices of her youth. Although the beginning of the book Hosea is focused on his marriage, this constitutes only a small part of the book. There are 14 chapters in all and only the first three are devoted to his relationship with Goma. The book isn't written in chronological order either, which makes it a bit confusing, as it's more like the collective works of Hosea, rather than his life story or record of the precise moments and ways in which God spoke through him. But what we can see from his writings is the recurring themes of judgment and compassion, like two legs on the same body. 
Jesus, quite often in the New Testament, referred to truth and grace, both being essential for walking, really, through the Christian life, aren't they? We can't lean too heavily on truth and leave grace behind. Neither can we rely entirely on grace and ignore truth. There's a similar thing going on here. Hosea has two legs, judgment and compassion. We can't lean too heavily on judgment and ignore compassion because compassion provides the counterbalance. It provides the basis for understanding God's heart towards his people. God outlines his grievances against Israel, which mirror Hosea's grievances with Gomer. They'd both been tempted by temporary pleasure and partial solutions to their earthly boredom or discomfort. They'd both become unfaithful to the one who loved them most. Was it that What was it that was so alluring to Gomer that caused her to turn her back on Hosea? And what did Israel seek which caused her to become unfaithful to God? Are those things still relevant for us today? Well, pleasure always plays a big part in what lures us away from God, doesn't it? It always has and always will. Our fallen state of humanness draws us towards fulfilling our own sinful desires which are as old as time itself. Sex, drugs and rock and roll. Sounds shallow to say it that way. And it's something which has become so much part of our everyday lives now and such an acceptable way of living in our culture that we often joke about it. But while this is now a well-integrated part of our nation's behaviour, we still struggle to understand or acknowledge the underlying reasons for it. On the surface, it's all about our desire to have our needs met and the illusion that we should be happy all the time by being able to have anything or anyone we want when we want it. We often interpret this as physical pleasure, and Goma was no different. She sought sex to help her feel beautiful and desired. She drank alcohol to help her feel relaxed and attractive. She enjoyed food offered to to idols as part of their worship and took pleasure in the gifts and money she was offered because this was a means of measuring her own value. Did it help? Did she find fulfilment? Did the pleasure last? Well, chapter 4, verse 11 says, They will eat and still be hungry. They will play the prostitute and gain nothing from it, for they have deserted the Lord to worship other gods. Wine has robbed my people of their understanding. They ask a piece of wood for advice. They think a stick can tell them the future. Longing after idols has made them foolish. They've played the prostitute serving other gods and deserting their God. I wonder, could we describe the culture of the UK today in any different terms? We eat even though we're not hungry when there are those that have nothing. We drink to the extent that it affects our thinking and our behaviour. Sex is no longer something special that takes place between husband and wife, but it's just recreational activity. We seek our fortunes in horoscopes, alternative religion, mysticism, or the humanistic goal of finding the answers to everything inside ourselves. Like Goma, we all at times seek solutions to our questions in places where the answers cannot be found. We've all been unfaithful to God and sought comfort in the gods of pleasure. 
Having recently returned from Zambia, I've become aware of so many things within myself that I thought I'd conquered. I thought I understood what it was to go without food, money, resources, and to rely on God. But then I realized that even if I can do this for a short time and suffer no ill effect, there are other ways that I fail to fully trust God. Whenever I lead a team to Africa, I always ask God to give me a passage from the Bible just to help me in the leadership process. And the reading God gave me this year was Proverbs 3. I know it's really familiar and I don't have time to do the whole chapter with you. But one specific theme emerged as I looked at it. My child, never forget the things I've taught you. Store my commands in your heart. If you do this, you will live many years and your life will be satisfying. Never let loyalty and kindness leave you. Tie them around your neck as a reminder. Write them deep within your heart. Then you will find favour with both God and people and you will earn a good reputation. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do and he will show you which path to take. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. When, then you will have healing for your body and strength for your bones. See, we're urged to never forget that God is the author, creator, director and sustainer of life. Not the God of pleasure to whom we so quickly turn or to the other gods of our culture, knowledge, power. Hosea provides us with great examples of how reliance on our own wisdom or insight draws us away from the heart of God at times. In Proverbs 3 it says, Never forget the things I have taught you. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Hosea 4 verse 1 says, There is no faithfulness, no kindness, no knowledge of God in your land. Chapter 11 verse 3 to 4 says, I myself taught Israel how to walk leading him along by the hand, but he doesn't know or even care that it was I who took care of him. I led Israel along with my ropes of kindness and love. I lifted the yoke from his neck and I myself stooped to feed him. God says, don't you realize it's not through your own learning or cleverness that you'll find me or the lives that you do not leave empty or bored. Your life cannot be fulfilled through your own plans and purposes. It's only by understanding and relying on the hand of God to lead you. You live and breathe and move because God protects and sustains you, not because of anything you do for yourself. I realised as I was preparing to lead this year's trip that I could probably plan a very good programme that would be led efficiently And we would come home and I could congratulate myself on the application of my knowledge gained through experience. But what benefit would this be to the people of Zambia? If there was no commitment to them, if there was no faithfulness in the way in which we relate to them over time, no kindness towards them or understanding of God's heart for them. We can send money like the people in Hosea did to assuage their guilt. We could craft educational programs to demonstrate our superior knowledge or we ourselves could stoop to feed the children that our society labels not loved, not my people, just like Goma's children were. 
You know, sometimes reality is too painful. So we hide instead in illusion. That somehow this is nothing to do with us. Imagining that it has no effect on our soul or our spirits. We bow to the temple of youth claiming that we're too young. Powerless or too old or insignificant to make a difference in either our world, in Africa or in the UK. It was no different in Hosea's day. Chapter 7, verses 9 and 10 say, Worshipping foreign gods has sapped their strength, but they don't even know it. Their hair is grey, but they don't realise they're old and weak. Their arrogance testifies against them, yet they don't return to the Lord their God or even try to find him. How easily we get distracted from trying to find solutions to life's issues. We fill our time and we use our money on things which stop us from becoming overwhelmed by the difficulties we face individually as a nation or a global community. The outcome is almost inevitable. As it says in Hosea 8 verse 7, they've planted the wind and they harvest the whirlwind. Do you feel like you live in a whirlwind sometimes? I know I do. But you know what? I can't think of anything worse than to wake up one day and to realise that youth, knowledge, money or pleasure are not enough and that there's no time to put things right. But the truth cuts through the gloom and it's God's truth. He is a faithful God. Even when we are utterly faithless, he will never, ever, ever let us go. If there's even a chance to bring us back from the edge of catastrophe, he is able and he will do it. It appears from the book of Hosea that he divorced Gomer after the birth of her second child through prostitution. He let her go back to the lifestyle she came from. I don't believe not necessarily because he couldn't stop her, not necessarily because he was fed up with her behaviour and couldn't stand it anymore. But perhaps because he loved her so much, he had to let her go into God's hands to await his plans and purposes for her life. What a painful experience. One that I guess few of us can imagine. To let completely go of someone we love and trust them to God. Trust them to a God who, although loving, also rules in justice and righteousness. How difficult that is. But Hosea did it. We move on to chapter 3. Rewind. The word of the Lord comes again to Hosea. I bet he was hoping for a better word than the last one God spoke to him about his personal life. If it had been me, I'd have been thinking, last time God asked me to do something really, really difficult. Maybe this time it'll be something just perhaps a bit easier as a reward for my obedience. So what did God say? Go and love your wife again, even though she commits adultery with another lover. This will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel, even though the people have turned to other gods and love to worship them. Oh my goodness, the same word again. If not harder this time. So Hosea went and brought his wife back for what have been, would have been approximately half the cost of a slave in those times. That gives us some insight into how much the world valued her now. 
Just to give you a bit more background here, it's probable that more than 10 years had passed since Hosea had married Gomer, and they'd been divorced for a considerable time. Then God says, go back and buy her back. Can you imagine what that was like? And the language God uses is even more challenging than before. When God first spoke to Hosea, he said, go take a wife for yourself. But now he says, go and love your wife again. This wasn't just an act of external forgiveness. This was an outrageous request to not only seek reconciliation, but for Hosea to give himself fully and love unconditionally. Gomer may not by this time have been a pretty sight. Any beauty from her youth may well have faded through the excesses of her lifestyle. She'd been living in a whirlwind for a long time. There are no illusions left. Gomer had been living as a prostitute for years and it had cost her everything. As indeed it was about to cost Israel everything as a nation. But God in his grace and mercy cannot forget his children. Some of the most beautiful words of scripture are found in Hosea chapter 11 as God describes the depth of his passion for his people. Oh, how can I give you up, Israel? How can I let you go? How can I destroy you like Adma or demolish you like Zeboam? My heart is torn within me and my compassion overflows. No, I will not unleash my fierce anger. I will not completely destroy Israel, for I am God and not a mere mortal. I am the Holy One living among you. And I will not come to destroy. For someday the people will follow me. I, the Lord, will roar like a lion. And when I roar, my people will return, trembling from the west. Like a flock of birds, they will come from Egypt. Trembling like doves, they will return from Assyria. And I will bring them home again. You know, sometimes when I'm in Africa working in full view of monstrous injustice or in a hospital nursing people in awful pain or in a counselling room listening to someone who has suffered terrible trauma I wonder, like Tom, what's God doing? Where is he when these things are happening? And how can he bear to see his children suffer? Then I think of this scripture and the longing in God's heart to see his plan for his world restored to its former glory. I long to see the new heaven and the new earth that will emerge when Jesus returns, but how much more our heavenly father's heart must ache for a time coming when his people will follow him and he will bring them home. Gomer probably had difficulty adjusting to life again in Hosea's house. In fact, when we look at the story, it seems that she had to learn to live without intimacy for a considerable time, not only being kept away from her lovers, but also away from her husband. You know, I don't believe that this was a form of punishment, but it was an opportunity to learn how to reconnect not just her body to her husband's, but her spirit with the one true God who had shown his love to her in such an outrageous and public way. He allowed his prophet to buy her back when actually it was against the law of the day to marry someone whom you'd previously divorced. Outrageous love. 
God chose to communicate through the marriage of Hosea and Gomer, which would be described by most modern relationship experts as catastrophic. God chose to demonstrate his extravagant, unfailing, incredible, and most significantly faithful love. And Gomer finally came to understand the words of God in the final chapter of Hosea, where it says, Return to the Lord your God, for your sins have brought you down. Bring your confessions and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive our sins and graciously receive us so that we may offer you our praises. Never again will we say to the idols we have made, you are our gods. No, in you alone do the orphans find mercy. The truth is we've all worshipped idols. We've all been unfaithful to God. And we find ourselves orphans in a world where we know we don't belong because it often doesn't reflect his love and mercy. But because of God's great compassion and his incredible commitment to us, there is a way back, just as there was for Goma. Few of us will have such a dramatic story, but all of us have been brought back from slavery. Slavery to pleasure, comfort, the pursuit of youth, knowledge or power. Slavery from being unfaithful to the God who created us in his own image. And the way back, well, that's the same as it's always been. The way back is through confession, forgiveness, and re-establishing relationship with the one who loves us and longs for a relationship with, with us. We're going to listen to song in just a few minutes, and I'd like you to really concentrate on the words and listen and let God speak to you. At the end, there'll be time for us to respond, to pray, and to find our way back to the Father. Because we're all Hosea's wife. We've all wandered off. So how do we find our way home again? Well, it's really simple. Come back. Just come back. Rewind. Come back to the God who loves you most. Remember who you are and what you're living for. But you know what? We can't love effectively if we haven't been loved extravagantly. And maybe this morning you need to know how extravagantly your Heavenly Father loves you. So we're going to sing a song to help us with that. Because we're all Hosea's wife. <laughs>